Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Roger, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at texasfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTF. If you're not a subscriber yet, become a subscriber at texasfootball.com slash subscribe. If you want uh, high school state basketball content, we're going to have a whole lot of that coming up, texasbasketball.com. In fact, We've got a, uh, a pretty quick show here now, actually, because you got to get on the road, right? Yeah, i got to head down to San Antonio. Of course, that's Ishmael Johnson over there. Uh, so, so what's going on this weekend? Uh, we, Well, just in general, I mean, state. I yeah, mean, girls state. basketball state. Uh, yeah, it's the semifinals start uh, tomorrow and through fr- and Friday. And then, of course, 8-8, uh, eight to eight, wall-to-wall on Saturday. It'll be all six uh, championship games. Yeah, you know, I'll actually say, um, you know, our mutual friend Justin Carter, who obviously writes for TexasBasketball.com, he's mm-hmm. in uh, – a group DM with me on, on Twitter yeah. and he kind of just dropped in like, you know, to the big group, like, so how do you cover like eight games in a day? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, don't worry, don't worry. It'll be fine. It'll yeah. be fine. It'll, it'll do great. Right. But right. It, it, it's, 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 it's a, a grind. lot. It's a lot. It's really a lot. And, uh, basketball is a lot different than football because sure. there are more gaps in between games and football. Yeah. Um, and so you have like, I mean, roughly, 30 minutes to an hour, sometimes plus sure. football games because obviously there's logistical reasons of crowd clearing and like, you know, just giving get, getting players because you present every player, every team with the trophy out there on the field. Sure. And, like, you and know, then they got to clear it all Yeah, up. they got to yeah. clear it all out. They got to get the other team's time to warm up, everything like that. One of the funniest parts about uh, about the the high school uh, football playoffs was mm-hmm. was obviously when our boss, Adam, would have to run out in the field and be like, no Gatorade, no Gatorade, we got <laughs> right. another game. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, and basketball is not that way. You know, yeah. basketball is sometimes it depends on the game, but they don't do trophy presentations until the halftime of the next game. Oh, or really? Like, yeah. And so they'll, they'll do that because they got to keep it going. Right. They do it in blocks. So there's three games. And there's a block, basically like an hour, hour and a half break between you know bigger crowds, and then there's a mid, the midday block, and then there's the night block, which has the six a game and I believe the four a game. Okay. And so um, I think there's sorry, there's two. There's there's only two games in each block. Um, yeah, sorry, because that would that math right, would right. not work. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's two games and there's a block. Two games and there's a block, and then the final two games. And so you know you're you're hustling in and out if when you're in the press conference for one game you know the other team's about to tip the other game's about to tip off oh, right man. then and there and so it's it's not as easy just oh let me get this gamer up for the last <laughs> right, game and right. miss the first quarter of the second game right. you know it's more like okay there's more packaging stories together and things like that okay okay so we're obviously not the republican basketball podcast but i, I do have one <laughs> quick question before we so if you are a basketball fan if you're a women's basketball fan going down to san antonio mm-hmm. Give me one team that I need to keep an eye on, Ooh. and give me one player that I really need to know. Oh man, I, I know mean, there's just, a lot. In general, I'm gonna say for for the casual fan, I'm gonna say I'm trying to figure out which when this game is yeah. exactly. Um, but keep an eye on. Let me see as I bring up this exact schedule right here. But 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 bring keep an eye on Argyle and Fredericksburg. Okay, that's Friday at three because Argyle is going for a six peat. And Fredericksburg is back in the uh, in the state tournament for the first time since the nineties. Wow! And so it's a clash of like current versus uh, old, uh, old coming back to you know coming back to uh, to challenge. That's awesome. Uh, 
uh, Argyle's Riley McKinney's going to SMU. She's fantastic. State's basically been her, you know, stomping ground since she was a freshman. Um, I don't know if she's been starting since she was a freshman, but definitely since an yeah, underclassman. Yeah. Um, potentially in 6A, Duncanville potentially playing Cy Creek in the 6A championship. They got to win their games. Like, Duncanville has to beat uh, Converse Judson, and uh, Cy Creek has to beat McKinney, which is another team that hadn't been since the 90s. And so, okay. but that potential clash, because Cy Creek is 40 and 0. And Duncanville is thirty-eight and three, and they have that star power right there. Deja Kelly for Duncanville is probably, I'd say, probably the best player at this tournament. Wow. Um, and so having that star power is going to be really interesting. And obviously, it's you got the Dallas versus Houston right. factor, which <laughs> always is always always fun. So those are, I'll give you those two. Um, in well, smaller, I, I got to jump in and say, I mean, go for it. looking at what Duncanville does in basically every sport. So yes. Duncanville was like our band rival, right? I understand now why they weren't our sports rival. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it's it's something. Um, another one to watch out for is, uh, of course, uh, Nazareth going for, I believe, their 23rd total Whew. girls basketball state championship. Insane, man. This is their 29th appearance Ugh. in the tournament. So that's another uh, casual story to watch to see if they can keep that rolling, which there's no indication that they can't. <laughs> but Lipan is 33-3. and three. Um, You know, okay, they're, they're okay. really solid. So we'll see if those teams can meet up in the championship or if um, Veribest or Chirino has anything to say about that all right well yeah if you're in san antonio get down there uh go harass ish obviously no, at, please don't <laughs> at the games meet our meet our guy justin carter over there too so yeah. uh and stay safe of course mm-hmm. um anyway like i said this is a republic of football uh and we actually weirdly enough it, it's kind of snuck up on me we got spring camp already yep i i mean like i got an email it's like oh hey tc we're starting this week hey texas tech we're starting this week mm-hmm. It's real weird. It's real weird. It feels like the season just ended. Uh, it feels like we just got a chance to catch our breath in February and already we're back on the road already. Yeah. So, um, again, it's kind of variable whenever camp starts. Uh, what you're going to notice about some of these early camps is that where there's a lot of staff continuity, they're starting earlier. You know, So Texas Tech starting early, mm-hmm. TCU starting early, UTEP starting early. And on the flip side, UT starting kind of on the later side. Baylor and UTSA starting kind of on the later side. They've right. all got new coordinators and new coaches. Um, but, you know, since we don't kind of have an official kickoff date, I think that this week is a good week to kind of talk about what we're looking at heading into camp. Um, now, granted, there's a lot of experience coming back around the state. There's a lot of players that we're going to know. Sam Ellinger's a guy that we're going to know. Colin Mons a guy we're going to know. Um, but here, here's what I want to do, okay? So mm-hmm. we each came up with three topics. Mm-hmm that we are really thinking about uh, and, and really curious about heading into camp. And now, yeah. not all of this will be resolved in spring camp, of sure. course. You know, some of this will go up until the season. But, Ish, mm-hmm. what is your first uh, first thing that you're looking at going into spring camp? What does North Texas look like on offense? Yeah. Um, because there's a lot of retooling. Obviously, Seth Luttrell's back to calling plays as well. That's what does that look like? Who is that quarterback? Is Jason Bean their guy? Yeah. Um, which apparently we're hearing that he more or less is. Like, yeah. oh, you know, it's, it's going to, I feel like it's going to be hard for anyone to, to beat him out. But what does the offense look like with Jason Bean? Uh, do they have. You know, do they have skill position at receiver? Because uh, Rico Bussy's gone. Um, Bussy's gone. Bussy's gone. So, like, who are these receivers that are going to be right. stepping up now? Jalen Darden is back. Yeah. J.R. Shorter is back. Those are two big-time guys. Michael Lawrence is another guy who's gone. Right, right. And, you know, seeing the development of DeAndre Torrey again continue uh, in the backfield. Um, Trey Siggers in the backfield. Trey Siggers as yeah. well, of course. Um, and what the offensive line's going to shape out to be, too. Because um, that's been the problem for basically yeah. two or three years. I mean, even when they were good, the offensive line was always an issue. And, and yeah, I'm really curious to see because 
Seth Luttrell doesn't strike me as a as a um, a reactionary guy. Yeah, and the fact that he let it go of Bodie Reader after one year. Oh yeah, says that says a lot to me because he, he like I said he's very he seems very calculating and meticulous as opposed to ah oh, this is weird I'm gonna get rid of it it was like sure. he he put a lot of time into that hire and for him to make that decision I think had to put a lot of time into that as well yeah yeah and and actually when you just talk about that offense I mean Seth Luttrell obviously played uh, under Mike Leach at Oklahoma mm-hmm. he coached under Mike Leach at Texas Tech. But if you watch his offenses over the years, and, and actually I'll even add, mm-hmm. had Graham Harrell up here air yeah. offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. but if you watch his offenses over the years. They're fairly balanced. They are very balanced, yeah. and and they're very different. Mm-hmm. You know, they're very variable to talent, which obviously the great coaches do that. They, yeah. they take advantage of talent. I mean, uh, you know, North Carolina, when they went and made a conference championship game, mm-hmm. they did it with a quarterback who was a very dual-threat guy. Mm-hmm. You know, when he was at Arizona, it looked very different. It wasn't a pure air raid. Um, and now you're stepping into a situation, too, where not only is it unclear what the offense is going to be, the offense could actually change yeah. based on who ends up winning this quarterback job. Right. Because Jason Bean, <clears throat> you know, is a dual-threat quarterback. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who can do it with both his arm and his legs. He's got one of the biggest arms on campus right now. Mm-hmm. Ostinani, you know, who's a guy who's my age, which is a whole nother weird thing <laughs> uh, because he actually had a minor league baseball career. But, mm-hmm. you know, former star quarterback at Argyle. Yeah. He's a pocket passer, mm-hmm. you know, and Case Martin, another kind of in-between guy, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, more of a pocket passer, but also can move a little bit. Um, you know, Will Cooney's a guy who we haven't even seen play before. Right. You know, he redshirted last year. Uh, all these guys are very different. Mm-hmm. And, and like, they're, and none of them are, I would say none of them are even similar to Mason Fine. No. Right? Because obviously, not even, not even considering size-wise, like Mason Fine yeah. was a pocket passer who could move in the pocket. But he wasn't a runner, no. right? He wasn't, but he also wasn't a stand-up pocket guy. Yeah, and so you're seeing different dynamics all around. You also didn't want him taking hits, so you're not going right. to put him in runs. Right, and so like Jason Bean has the size to be able to take run, uh, take hits. Yeah. he has better athleticism, so he can run a little mm-hmm. bit more. Um, He's a big guy. Theoretically, Austin Ani is like you said, pocket passing quarterback right. um, who can stand there, and you know another bigger guy who can take those hits as well. Yeah. Um, you don't feel bad about. You but know, he, does he have the cannon? That right, Mason that's the truth. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's where Mason Fine kind of separated him himself but yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be a very different offense and yeah. i'm curious to see what seth latrell adds and what he felt was missing from this Bodie reader offense this past year yeah yeah no that one's gonna be really interesting i and again another one that we're probably not gonna get the answer sure. until you know fall camp but right that's definitely gonna be something to keep an eye on i'm kind of going in, in in a similar direction mm-hmm. i'm going with mike yurzich at texas mm-hmm. so tom herman Runs this offense, right? Yes. He's run this offense since he got on campus. He was he's been the primary play caller for basically the last two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is this, his offense, and he became the head coach at Texas and at Houston because of his ability to coach offense. Right now, you're bringing in a guy in Mike Yersich, uh, who at Oklahoma State had a lot of success. Mm-hmm. Wasn't the play caller though under Mike Gundy. Goes to Ohio State, pretty different system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, has kind of a passing game coordinator role, but also doesn't call plays. Mm-hmm. You know, he plays under he coaches under Ryan Day. Now he's coming to Texas. Word is he's going to call plays uh, again. Yeah. Well, he's going to call plays as far as we know. Right. What exactly does he add though? Because because for me, you know, Tom Herman and Ryan Day's offenses aren't dissimilar. Uh, you know, they both kind of came up under that Urban Meyer power spread. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, now I think that that Ryan Day added 
a more of a passing component, I'd say, with Justin Fields and maybe what Tom Herman had. Where you know, well, I'd, were- I'd say I'd say Ryan Day, his his he differentiated himself enough from Urban Meyer. I yeah. think he has. First of all, he has the athletes to be able to do that. To do um, anything, right? Exactly. And so, especially on the outside, he definitely added a more. Uh, I mean, not more. It's flat out just a passing centric right. uh, uh, approach to that right. style. They, they did come under the same tree, but I think with uh, with Dwayne Haskins and yeah. like, having quarterbacks who can and receivers who can absolutely Definitely. stretch the field sideline to sideline, vertically everywhere. He added more of a vertical element that um, Tom Herman really hasn't been one to embrace. Right, and is more tradi- and Tom Herman is more directly Urban Meyer. Right, disciple. right, right. And I mean, I think they. Like you said, you can see that in the types of quarterbacks they use too. You know, right. going from uh, JT Barrett, right. You know, to obviously uh, more of a Dwayne Haskins. Yes, and and so now you add Mike Yersich to the uh, equation, mm-hmm. and the word around town is too is that Mike Yersich was a big part of how Ohio State played their passing game. Right. You know that that him coming in, coming with a. You know, not not necessarily air raid concepts, but mm-hmm. you know, very spread passing game concepts mm-hmm. like what we've seen at Oklahoma State. Yeah. That adding that to what Ryan Day already had, which again, like you said, was already a pretty pass based offense, mm-hmm. uh, that that played a big part in what they were able to do there. Right. Now, I guess we'll figure out mm-hmm. <laughs> because now Mike Yersich again is going to be taking over the offense at Texas. Um, don't get me wrong, Tom Herman's still going to be a big part of that offense. He's right. still going to define a lot of what's going on there, but. The big thing for me that I want to watch is how much do they just start relying on Sam Ellinger's arm more? Yeah. You know, I think we saw some of that last year, mm-hmm. but I don't think that we even maybe saw it to the extent that we wanted to see it. Right. You know, because he is the best player on that offense, and it's not even close. Easily. No, easily. He's the best quarterback in the state. He's the best player on that team. Um, and, like, yeah, it became, uh, I think, you know, the un- um, when I'm trying to think of, um, 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 oh, my gosh, last coordinator. Uh, Tim Beck. Um, did I already forget his name? Yeah, Tim Beck. Okay. Um, when t- when the Tim Beck when when, in North Carolina State. Right, I was about to say. Um, when rumors were swirling that you know Tim Beck was basically on the hot seat and he's yeah. basically a dead man walking throughout the season, uh, it, the word was that Tom Herman just wanted someone to call plays. Right. Mm-hmm. He didn't like calling plays, and he also didn't feel confident in Tim Beck calling plays, yeah. clearly, um, because he revoked him in the first place <laughs> a couple of years ago. Um, so I think... I'm wondering what if we're going to see that vertical passing element. Sure. Because something tells me that – because, again, Major Applewhite called plays yeah. at Houston. It was Tom Herman's offense, but Major Applewhite – like, I think he just – I really think he just wants someone to take over that down-to-down right. situation management. And I don't know. That's going to – I hope – my hope is that, yes, he comes in and he brings in some of that vertical passing element. Right. My concern is that I don't think Texas' receivers are anywhere as near as good as Ohio State's, so well, <laughs> the potential – You mean they don't have Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba? Right, exactly. You mean Garrett Wilson's not the number two or three receiver on the team? <laughs> He'd by far be the best. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Yeah. It's a lot of projecting as far as receivers go to be able to do something like that. And also the other – dirty little secret about Ohio State was that they still had a dominant running game. Yeah. A dominant running game. Right. Despite Justin Fields being one of the um being one of the Heisman finalists and all that, like they still had a JK Dobbins was more important. I was about, well like how many how many yards did he finish with? Like two thousand? Was it two K? Two thousand. Yeah. Like two thousand. And like, like on top of something like that. Way. It was close to two K. And again, 
Yeah. They need to find somebody who can yeah. do something like that. I'm not Finish saying they need a 2003 rushing game. Yeah, like they and don't, he got hurt in its last game. Right. Again, they don't need a 2000 yard rusher. They don't even need a 1500 yard rusher. I don't know if any of these guys can get 1000 yards right now. Yeah. And I think the thing that's going to be interesting and you know, this isn't necessarily straight on the same topic of Mike Yersich, but sure. is you know, heading into the year, I think that the most proven running back on the roster, sorry Keonta Ingram is is Roshan Johnson right sure. now. Now, added to this whole equation is that they just recruited the number one running back in the country right. in B. John Robinson. Mm-hmm. Um, I would expect that by the end of the year, he's probably the starting running back. I think that's the hope. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I really think there's big trouble on the horizon if that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, Inger maybe takes a step, which I think we're both a little worried about. Right. Um, you know, and, and if he does that and – then I think that you feel a little better about where this offense is going. But, I mean, you know, look, this offense lost a lot of key pieces that were basically central to what this offense was last year. Right. Devin DuVernay's gone. Colin Johnson's gone. Mm-hmm. Those are, Jack, Zach Shackelford is gone. Like, those are three of the biggest players on this whole offense. And now you're going to come in and try to install new concepts in a system. Now, I think Brennan Eagles is a superstar. Like, I think he's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know who's after that. <laughs> that's kind of more my my question here. They have athletes. That's never going to be in question. But, yeah. but yeah, I mean, maybe scheme is enough and and vertical passing game is enough to kind of spread things out and kind of mitigate some of those losses. But right. but it's going to be a lot to ask. And again, uh, ultimately, if Mike Yurcich isn't successful, yes, he's going to be accountable. But you know, he's really going to be accountable. It's Tom Herman. Tom Herman. <laughs> All right, number two. Uh, I'm going to get this one out of the way. Come on, it's Texas State. Like, <laughs> what is this team? <laughs> I have no idea what this team is. Yeah. Um, hey, Brady McBride looks great in Grescienza's number two. Right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, uh, first of all, yeah, what does Brady McBride look like? Yeah. Um, second of all, what skill – because we talked about last year how it did not help that the receivers stagnated or took a step back yeah. universally. Yeah. What happens there? Yeah. Um. What does Jake Spavadol look ba- look like back in his play calling chair? Right, right. He took a he, he oddly took a year off of play calling, even though like Tom Herman, you call him, you you hire him to run your offense, and he doesn't run the offense. He's now back in that position. Yeah. What does that look like? What is it? What is his philosophy more? Um, uh, what is it more akin to now that he's a head coach doing it? Um, and. I mean, I could get in defensively. You know, they're replacing basically everyone with like JUCO yeah. receivers or JUCO players and 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 uh, um, reinforcements on that on that side. But I kind of want to stick to the offense because I know that's going to be what they're going to lean on next year. Because how many people are how they many newcomers? Right? How many newcomers? How many first timers? They're going to rely on defense. I'm not as concerned with how that looks because I know it's going to be a crapshoot. Like yeah. <laughs> I just know that's how it is. And this year you're banking on the offense just coming together. You got you bring in um, uh, Jamil Jeter at running back. You bring in Brock Sturges at running back to try and get something in that position. You bring in Alex Costillo along the offensive line. Silas Robinson. We'll see what his transfer situation is like from Arkansas. Uh, you bring him in on the offensive line to help fix it right away. Like Jake Spavadol is going all in on this offense to carry this team this year. And what does it look like? Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and last year, obviously, I mean, I don't think that we got a good idea. You no, know, got, we got no. <laughs> and, and the thing that was kind of interesting, too, was that when Gress Jensen was in the game versus when Tyler Vitt was in the game, the offense looked pretty different. And the play, yeah. you know, just in terms of that, I think that with Vitt, they took a lot more downfield shots. Sure. You know, and, and with Jensen, it was a lot of under action. Right. Now, 
underaction is a big part of what Jake Spavadol does. Sure. Um, you know, and and we can get into whether that's a good idea or not. Right, right. I mean, right. a I mean, and will tell you how much they love screens. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and again, I think that a big part of it is personnel, too. Sure. You know, and, and obviously I think, uh, you know, Tech State's still trying to figure out if they have that personnel. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, Hutch White's gone. He was their big possession receiver last year. And, I mean, who's the leading receiver coming back now? Uh, golly. Uh, is it Sharif? No, no. Uh, Javon Banks, maybe? Maybe. No, well, coming back, yeah. Um, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great question. I'll look that up. You, you. Yeah, I, I, I got it coming up right okay. now. Uh, which, which is kind of the point. Right. right. Which is kind of the point that, that Hutch White had 618. Yeah, I knew Hutch White led. Uh, and that was it. So, uh, yeah, Javon Banks. Was, Javon, uh, Javon Banks. Okay, Javon cool. Banks, number two, 367 yards. So Again, not this great. is a pass-centric offense, people. Pass-centric <laughs> offense. This is uh, this is Jake Spavadol, who comes from the Dana Holgerson tree, right? And produced a receiver who uh, went for three hundred six. Kevin Sumlin and Dana Holgerson and Ooh. Sonny Dykes tree. <laughs> yeah, and and I think that both of us are pretty high on Spav's coaching sure, ability sure. and his offensive scheming ability. Yeah. But yeah, man. I mean, <laughs> what do we got? That, the, the talent was not there. God no. Um, it's it's literally what do you got? You know right. what is the and and I think he's going to learn about it, a lot about his roster yep. because he goes and gets um 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 um, um oh my God Jacob Peeler yep. from Ole Miss mm-hmm. to hopefully recruit or develop these receivers right? Right, you, right. You you basically go get the best option you can get yes. as far as coaching that position is concerned. Yep. Um. And you again, he's going to learn about his roster. He's like, okay, do we have receivers? Right. Right. If not, cool. Peeler, get on the road and go get us some receivers. <laughs> right. Because we'll know at the end of this year. I, I will say, man, it, it is a little weird because it's one of those things where you just feel like being in school in Texas, you yeah. should accidentally have receivers. Right. You know, like, yeah. like, but then you look around, you know, Texas State mm-hmm. and then like the other Conference USA teams and you're just like, how did Where are Texas you? become the only team with good receivers? Right, and, and like I like two guys at Rice, but yeah. like you know, they got a roster full of them. Right, like how did you not accidentally like invite somebody to campus? Sure, you know, how, how did somebody not walk on and be like, oh, this is an all Sun Belt play? Sure, sure. <laughs> and I should say, like, there is something to be said about. There is a different receiver that Jake Spavadol prefers Definitely. as opposed to what was recruited under Withers. Well, and, and speed's going to be a b- big part of it, right? Yes. You know what I mean? And that's something that, again, Hutch White had. The rest of the roster was a little bit bigger sometimes, mm-hmm. but, but you know, weren't as mobile. Right. And now you need guys to separate. Yeah. That's, that's just ultimately what it comes down to. And you need guys who are comfortable, who are really, really efficient at running routes. Yeah. Because, like, a lot of this offense is spacing. Yeah. Right? And, and quick action. Right, exactly. So you gotta be you got to have guys who are knowledgeable – of route trees, know how to efficiently run them, know how to make cuts quick, and you know that's why I got. I mean, that's I feel like that's why a guy like uh, Jeremiah Haydell, who yep. broke out two years ago, that's and who took, I thought was going to be their top receiver. We thought last was going to right, exactly, and he kind of took a step back because yeah. you realize, okay, a lot of his highlights were streaking down the field, and it's just kind of like you know, okay, throw a home run ball to him, but you know, that's not always Spavadol's offense. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah. <laughs> I think that we know that for certain. Okay, so my number two. So, we talked a lot about Dana Holgerson's gamble, mm-hmm. you know, about how, okay, let's just try to put off a year and try to really go into to next season. And a yeah. big part of that was because, holy crap, look at all these transfers, right? <laughs> yep. So, uh, unfortunately, the five-star linebacker, Yabi Anoma, mm-hmm. uh, was kicked off the team for uh, a violation of team rules. He was, like, one of the top five teams uh, players in America when he came out, but... 
they still got a lot of guys coming in. Uh, you got Bryson Jackson, a wide receiver from TCU. You've got Nathan Fox, a linebacker from Northwestern. You got Jordan Moore, a, a defensive back from Texas A&M. You got Justin Murphy, a an offensive tackle. Actually, I think that Justin Murphy actually might be done. Uh, but you know, you just have all these names one after the other on the list. Kyle Porter's still back. Yeah. Like so many guys on the list, and then on top of that, you had Giovanni Stewart from West Virginia this year. Mm-hmm. It, so does it help? Right. That's kind of <laughs> just that's kind of just a big question. Right? Uh, yeah. Does it help? <laughs> because last year we saw SMU obviously took all of that and turned it into one of the best seasons in program history. Mm-hmm. Is that going to work the same way for Houston? Yeah. So, <sighs> yeah, I mean, it, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a whole lot. And I think that I think that both Houston and SMU should see themselves as transfer destinations. Sure. Because they are, you know, those teams in Dallas and Houston where most of these recruits are coming from who are still AAC programs where you're still playing a very high level of competition, where mm-hmm. you're still potentially able to make a New Year's Six Bowl, where you're still able to compete for a conference championship, where you're still going to get lots of NFL looks. And so if, for a kid who wants to come home, like Houston and SMU, those should be the easiest options. Sure. If you don't get like a great power five that you want. Sure. Um, you know, like I, I wrote about this week, like, hey, man, if, if Leon O'Neill doesn't get the, the best choice possible, man, go to Houston. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's, where, that's where it happens, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a, uh, there's a lot of transfers to, to now push into the rotation. Now, on defense, I think they're actually going to be pretty okay because they return a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think that they're going to necessarily be relying, even as much as SMU did, on guys just coming in and hurrying and getting up to speed. Yeah. But dealing with that many personalities all at the same time is still very difficult. You know, guys who you didn't necessarily recruit out of high school, guys who you didn't necessarily get to develop, Mm -hmm. guys that you didn't necessarily pick to fit your scheme exactly, you know, and more maybe sort of relied on their talent. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just brings a lot of interesting dynamics. And, you know, a lot of these guys only have a year or two left, too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there is some urgency. Now, Houston went 4-8 and last year, of course. And I think that all of us expect them to be back in a bowl game this year. But I guess I guess part of the question for me too is, what would be a successful season this year? Yeah, man. Because you hate to say like, you hate to say. Have they released their schedule? They have, right? Yeah. They, they so, did but you hate to say something like, "Oh, seven and five is a good season," because like right, right. they literally hired Holgerson because they th- they said that wasn't a good season, yeah. right? That that type of that type of record is not their mark. But let me look at their schedule. So you got. Rice, Washington. Uh, golly. Well, in the, in the comparison that I'll make is again with SMU. Not. SMU obviously, right? Everything lined the, up. Yeah, everything, everything lined up perfectly. But, they had a, e- but they had an easy schedule too. They had an easy schedule. But yeah. the other thing too that I think that you say about SMU is that ultimately, you know, if if half these guys flamed out and now almost none of them did, right? Like Patrick Nelson was awesome. Yeah. You know, uh, just all these transfers came in. Richard McBride, Richard Moore, like all these guys basically worked out, kind of to an insane degree. Yeah, but. If SMU went seven and five with these guys, yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. You know, they would have been perfectly happy with that. Right. If Houston goes seven and five with these guys, and they only have one or two years, if they never win more than seven games, I don't think they're going to be happy with that. Here's, uh, I'm trying to. <laughs> here's my problem. Yeah, I'm trying to find these wins. They, they go to Wazoo. They I go to Wazoo. They now, go now two, completely rebuilding under Nick sure, Rovich. Fair enough. Fair still. Enough. Two Wazoo, two Memphis. Ugh. So I'm just, I'm just gonna roll it off. I'm just gonna go week <laughs> yeah, one go, on. Go, go. Open against Rice. Win. Win. At Wazoo. I don't know. Fifty fifty. Right. At Memphis. Probably lost. <laughs> North Texas. Probably a win. 
Should I'd say they should be favored. Yep. Tulane at home. Uh, Who knows? Who knows? At BYU. Uh, uh, that's not a great one. At Navy. Uh, uh, <laughs> UCF. Loss. Loss. At Cincy. Loss. loss. USF. Probably a win. Should be a win. At SMU. Probably a loss. <laughs> probably a loss. I don't want to say for sure. One. That's a tough but one. But probably. Tulsa. Win. Hooray. How many wins did we say? <laughs> Is that the whole schedule? That's it. We went through the whole thing? <laughs> no, I was waiting for more games to keep coming. <laughs> where are these Where are these seven wins? <laughs> Where's seven and five? I, I was like waiting for you to be like, okay, okay, EC. Whew, okay. Right, yeah. No, they don't get EC <laughs> this year. <laughs> That's for oh man, that's brutal. So again, I'm looking for seven wins. <laughs> I'm over here saying seven wins is oh that'd be a success, even though they won't consider it a success. And I can't find seven wins. <laughs> right, right, right. No, I mean because the thing is too is like if they go into year two yeah. and you're like, all right, uh, uh, remind, uh Keith Corbin was yes. the receiver setup. Right, Keith Corbin's back. Mm-hmm. Um, Mobile Car is back. Yeah, Mobile you know, is for back. senior season. Mm-hmm. You bring in all these guys again. A lot of them have multiple years. Not all of them are one-year guys, but right. a couple of them are one-year guys. If you have all of that and you go five and seven, what the hell are we doing here? Yeah. You know? I mean, I don't know. Then, then it starts to get tough. Now, granted, Houston's still recruiting at a, high, at a pretty decent level. Right. Uh, you know, the whole point of all of this, I mean, not just this one season, but all of this hiring Dana Holgerson thing mm-hmm. is like, eventually. Yeah. We're gonna build something sustainable, and not only that, I'm gonna be here ten years, and it's gonna we're gonna see it through, right? Right. If you win nine games in your first two years, the seat doesn't get hot. I don't think it's yet. No, no. But but it, people are just gonna start asking questions. Right. What's going on here? You fire you fired a coach for going eight and five, and now you win nine games in two years. Right. I don't know. It, <laughs> and now, granted, it is extremely possible, like extremely possible. That a lot of these guys, especially the ones who had a year to sit out, mm-hmm. you know, that is an advantage because yeah. they got a chance to learn the system. Now you put them in the lineup, maybe you have something here, right? Maybe you have an eight or nine win team somehow. But, mm-hmm. like, naming off those games, yeah. that's, that's pretty tough. <laughs> right. That's pretty tough. You got to beat, you probably got to beat Wazoo. Mm-hmm. You probably got to find a way to beat one of UCF or Cincinnati. Yeah. Probably right? got to beat BYU on the road. Yeah. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, you have to. You have to go at least one and two against BYU, Cincinnati, UCF. Yeah, to to really have even the chance at a decent season. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's that's pretty brutal. Yeah. Oh, I I kept waiting for it to get better. Right, you were like, oh, here day. comes the here comes the cupcakes part. <laughs> oh man, all right, finish this off. Yeah, uh, let me see where's my list here. Uh, TCU. Yep. Um, stick into stick into the offense. Um, so go ahead. yeah. So the the fun part about all of this. Um, so. You, did not let go of offense coordinator Sonny Cumbie. Who, right. Like, I don't think he's a bad coordinator. I don't think he's means. a bad coordinator. I'm just wondering if the where's marriage the is right. Yeah. Like, where's the influence coming from exactly? And also, maybe they're not that talented. Maybe. I, that's that's a big worry that I've started to have the mm-hmm. last couple of years is like, maybe they're just not good. Right. Uh, I still think that they have good players. So, so, you know, I don't know if I'm ready to say that as yet. Sure. But I'm starting to like get it in the back of my mind. Like For sure. maybe their players are just not very good, right? Um, especially now with Jalen Rager gone, mm-hmm. um, and Shaywalanlu, and Jed Anderson. But whatever, and Jeff Gladney, <laughs> and Julius, uh, not Julius, uh, Lucas Niang. Yeah, um, no that, that's what I was thinking. Also yeah. Julius Lewis, but but I was thinking of of offense. But mm-hmm. um, so they bring in Jerry Kill as an off field guy to run the offense. Yeah. So if this works, 
holy crap, everything's changed. What a, yeah. And just in college football, everything's right. changed. Right, 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 right. <laughs> like, because what it sounds like, well, well, actually, I'll tell you what it sounds like. Uh, Gary Patterson is very good at being a head football coach. Mm-hmm. He is phenomenal at coaching defense. He loves the idea of never having to care about offense. Right. He is obsessed with the idea of never having to care about offense. Exactly. And he brought in, basically, it's in his He brought in his buddy. He brought in literally his buddy to be like, hey, can I not pay attention to this? Well, and and like the thing is, is that Cherry Kill was a very good football coach. Mm -hmm. He's a very good football mind. Um, I'm pulling up his background right now, too, because I'm trying to remember. He was at Northern Illinois before he got the Minnesota job. Okay. And, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. primarily been a head coach is kind of the interesting thing because mm-hmm. he actually became head coach at Saginaw Valley State in 94 and mm-hmm. basically was a head coach until 2015 right when he retired uh due to health issues mm-hmm. um so he has been he was offensive coordinator at Rutgers for one year in 2017 he was offensive coordinator from 91 to 93 at Pittsburgh State mm-hmm. it, so it's not like he's managed offenses forever you know that that's one of the well he did he did he set the stage more or less for northern illinois for sure. which which um obviously ended up going to i think there was the orange bowl that uh, not under him but it, yeah. he set the stage yeah. for um them eventually going to the orange bowl yeah um no and, and, and were, he's a great head coach right well i'm saying like more in that their offense was kind of unique in like that that right Shout out to Jordan Lynch, man. Right, yeah, I was about to say, like, Chicago Bear. good God, J- Jordan Lynch season was the <laughs> yeah, wildest was awesome. and strangest thing I think yeah. I can remember. But, um, but yeah, like he kind of set the stage for that, for sure. and they that those teams were well, known for more offense. And he's a culture setter. Right, that, that's a big part of what he does. He's yeah. good at managing people, which mm-hmm. is obviously a plus in this role. Yeah. But like, I don't think that anybody would sit here and say that Minnesota's offenses look like a Sunny Cumbie offense. That's fair, and and. So that's also part of my question is, like, where exactly do we go with this? Like, mm-hmm. what involvement does he have in actual offense versus just managing the people on offense? Right. If so, what does personnel? Sonny Cumbie do? <laughs> right. Well, and look, I, I think that one of the reasons uh, – and, and, again, I, I think that Sonny Cumbie knows what he's doing. Sure. Um, the question is, what is he allowed to do, mm-hmm. I think, more to an extent? Um, you know, that – the thing with Sonny Cumbie is that I think a big part of the reason that he's still the offensive coordinator at TCU is because he is willing to let Gary Patterson hire some other guy to basically be his boss right? and kind of just go along with it. Yeah. Um, now, now just, just stepping back obviously to the actual personnel on offense too, you know, we can talk forever about that coaching structure cause it's so weird, <laughs> but um, I think I've asked this question before on the podcast, but are you a Max Duggan believer? Oh yeah, we've talked about that. I think we're okay. So, <laughs> I think we were watching. We were watching a game earlier this week. Yeah, and I oh, t- no. yeah, you remember this is going. <laughs> and the game was Texas versus Texas A and M, the very last yeah. game. Yeah, and again, we mentioned this before on the. I think it was last week or two weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, I'm telling you right now, Max Duggan is Case McCoy. Watching him yeah. in that game, I looked back at you and I said, look, are you seeing these plays he's making and, like, the scrappiness he's playing with and kind of the, the – one, w- one thing that I'll say yeah. is that freshman Max Duggan at least looks like junior, senior. Yes, fair, fair enough. I'll, yes. I'll give him that credit. Right, right, yes. <laughs> but you're see- like, yeah. you know the ceiling with this offense Yeah, with Max Duggan at quarterback. And it's if he can build on that, which – I don't. We saw flashes. 
I don't know if there were enough to be to, for me to say yes, we, he can be this quarterback who takes this team to nine wins or you know hovering around there. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like. More or less, I feel like what we, what we saw from Max Duggan is is going to be more or less what he is. Yeah. And I kept seeing Case McCoy in that game, and I'm like, I saw Max Duggan make these plays. And I saw yeah. him kind of wheedle out of pressure and kind of make these weird runs where you're like, okay, he's kind of fast, and you know, his defense doesn't really know how to handle him. And Hey, and all credit to him. Uh, Case McCoy did win the biggest game of the two th- 2010s for Texas. Fair enough. You know, that so, is not a false statement. So I mean, um, know, but no, but just throwing that out there. But like, I, I all in comp- you know, yeah. uh, just overall, like, yeah. I think we know what Max Duggan is, <laughs> and I don't know if it's somebody who can lead a prolific offense. So I think I think the upside is there personally. Um, okay. I don't think that it will be realized right now. Uh, and the other thing that it definitely won't be realized in spring. So. Right. Well, and and the other thing that obviously for me is very, very, very concerning. Yeah is that the offense around him is not going to be very good. No, he loses his biggest target and the biggest reason why he probably could have had right. a better passing year last year. Now, now we'll see whether Quentin Johnson can come in and play at, at a high level right away. The, right. the receiver from Temple, top 75 national recruit. He's a big-time player. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see if Tay Barber has something to step we'll up his game. see if he has yeah. a second gear. Yeah. Um, then it's like... John Stephen Jones and like is that the kid's name? Like, no, you just named um, you just named uh, Jerry Jones' grandson. <laughs> I, but like that's that's sort of the place that we're at with TCU receivers. Yeah, I was about to say John, John Stephen Jones. John Stephen Jones is quarterback at Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, I'm like that's that can't be right. But um, but yeah, I mean it's, it's Tay Barber, uh, pro well at tight end. Mm-hmm. Legitimately a very good player. Yeah. Is Travillas not back? I need to check on that. Um, John Stevens John Jr. Stevens Jr. <laughs> See, I, there was something there. I'm like, Ugh. yeah, Travillas Hunt is back. John Steven Jones. I was like, is he? Where did he go? Why is he I a receiver know. now? I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, there was something there. But uh, but yeah, now now the running backs like Darwin Barlow, great player. Demarque Foster, great player. Mm-hmm. They're both going to be uh, redshirt freshmen, I think. I think both of them are. Um, did Barlow uh, redshirt? I think that both did. Okay, because I know he's, I know Barlow scored a touchdown. I don't know if he he did. He did for, play, but okay. I, I think that I think that they redshirted. Gotcha. But like again, both of them are redshirt freshmen. Mm-hmm. Still very early for both of them. The offensive line could be pretty bad. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I just don't know whether there's a recipe for success. Now, at the same time. You know, maybe you bring in more of these uh, these voices in the room. I mm-hmm. mean, obviously, you bring back Doug Meacham, you know, as as receivers coach. I think that's going to be a contribution, at least. And, mm-hmm. and look, I mean, I mean, you know, when this offense was clicking, right? It was, you know, it was he played too. he played a big role, right? So. And so maybe maybe they find uh, you know strike gold again. Yeah. Who knows? So, you know, maybe just the two of them together kind of help Max Duggan figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the defense is going to be awesome, so at least they'll have that, yeah. you know, that aspect of the team. But, you know, look, the the sort of running thing with, with Gary Patterson coach teams is that if they have a losing season, the next year they win 11 games. Right. I don't know if I totally see that right <laughs> now after, after them going 5-7. and seven, so. Yeah. Okay, let's finish up with mine. Go for it. 
So when I asked Jeff Trailer at UTSA what his offense is going to look like when yeah. at his introductory press conference, he said something along the lines of, it's going to be unpredictable. You're going to think we'll do this and we'll do that. Uh, you know, we'll just you, – you can't take your eyes off of it. Yeah. I don't know what that means. Time to see what, time to see what <laughs> any of that means. <laughs> I have no idea what he's saying. <laughs> now, granted, it's Jeff Trailer, and, and like he just loves saying stuff like that, too. Sure, but, sure. Um, but, you know, they bring in offensive coordinator Barry Lunny Jr. Their two best players are in the backfield in, in Frank Harris and Sincere McCormick. Uh, now what? You know, now, yep. how are they going to be able to take advantage of that talent? Um, I'd imagine that they're going to probably make uh, quarterback read a big part of their offense. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would if I were them. I'd I imagine would, so. I would try to move away from some of the pro style stuff that Frank Wilson really liked to run mm-hmm. during his time there. Um, but look, you've got two foundational pieces, I think yeah. in, in Frank Harris and sincere McCormick and, and McCormick. I mean, he's among the best running backs in the state right now. He might be the best running back yeah. right now. Honestly, yeah. best returning running back I as far as production that yeah. we can tangible sure. production. Yeah, for sure. And so you got those two, uh, the receivers, you know, a little bit of a question mark there, the mm-hmm. offensive line, Took, made strides last year and returns a lot. But I'm just curious what exactly they plan on doing. Yeah. You know, what, I mean, that's the most general question of all time, obviously. Right, right. But, you know, I, I'm i just curious how they plan on taking those pieces and making them work. You know, because I do think that we're going to see a lot of trick plays, for example. Mm-hmm. I do think that it, there's going to be aspects of it being very gimmicky. But, you know, with Barry Lenny Jr., that's a guy who's been a tight ends coach his whole career, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, and he's coached under Chad Morris yeah. and uh, Brett Bielema, mm-hmm. you know? So it's not like he has sort of a, a clear path. Now, granted, I am curious to see because this is <laughs> this is this this kind of plays into the mystery factor, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a Titans fan. And Arthur yeah. Smith, former uh, tight ends coach, became their coordinator this year. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what his history has to Barry Lenny's history has to do with this offense because when Arthur Smith took over, there were there was a legitimate three tight end rotation with the Titans. <laughs> yeah, and like they used him in different ways. They had a lot of two tight end sets. They sure. they put um, they had uh, um, uh, lining up. They have um, their starter lining up at running back sometimes. Wow. And they yeah, they, <laughs> it was he was very unique with the way he used Johnny Smith and and Michael Pruitt and all these guys. And I'm curious to see UTSA only has four, so I don't know if there's the depth there. I mean, there might right. be there might be for college. Form. They, they also might move guys around. Right, exactly. So uh, again, this present plays into the mystery was um as far as what if any versatility is involved with the tight ends right um because i feel like the tight end is often a position when you look at these spread offenses the very best have difference difference making playmaking tight ends and i feel like in the ones that struggle to uh, to break into that top threshold don't have that or they don't feature them as much as well as they should um and so yeah i'm curious to see like you mentioned him being a tight ends coach does that play a factor in yeah. this offense well i'll tell you what i mean a program that i've watched as closely as any in college football over the last eight years mm-hmm. is oklahoma yeah oklahoma now they they use different terms for everything sure you know i mean they they're tight ends and well well they've had kind of more true receiving tight ends the past couple mm-hmm. of years but mm-hmm. they've had h-backs for example that are very versatile. Yeah. You know, that they'll line up uh, in the backfield, that they'll line up at running back, that they'll line up at fullback, that they'll line up at receiver. Mm -hmm. If that's what Barry Luddy's going to do, which, I mean, I I think that actually, if you look at football right now, Mm -hmm. I think that one of the greatest innovations in the game right now is the use of those types of players. Sure. Because 
They can be used in a power set. They can be used in a pro set. They can be used in an, a receiving set. They're just such versatile players. And I think that right now, football is moving towards versatility. Yeah. I, I think that that's a big way that modern offenses are moving forward. I mean, I think that we're seeing it. Again, Oklahoma, the most productive offense in the entire country. Mm-hmm. They, they've got guys who they can line up inside, outside, on the line, and those guys dominate. And also, like going back to Oklahoma, that's a good example because, I mean, what was one of their key injuries this year? Grant Calcaterra. Yeah. Right? And last year, it was no – I mean, he wasn't a huge feature. He wasn't right. a 1,000-yard receiving tight end, but he was a reliable tight right. end target. That became a big, especially in the Big 12 championship game yeah. um, against Texas. And well, they didn't and have just that – remember back to Mark Andrews. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, they didn't have that that safety blanket option a lot of the time this year that Jalen Hurts – that uh, Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield had. And Jalen Hurts was often, you know, forcing it to certain guys that yeah. probably – weren't uh, able to fill that role and and not to make this an oklahoma podcast but like remember back to like trey millard yeah like remember that dude right and trey flowers yeah those dudes <laughs> were lined up as fullbacks yeah they caught balls out of the backfield they blocked they those they utility ran. those utility oh players God. that you can you can call them tight ends you can call them yeah. tight uh fullbacks whatever you want and, and when i say that barry Lunny jr is maybe the best tight ends coach in the country mm-hmm. i mean it yeah he, he is he seriously is. He helped produce some of the best tight ends in the country at at Arkansas. Yeah. They consistently put out tight ends like Hunter Henry. Like he's a big time tight ends coach. Now, yeah. will that translate? Who knows? I know. You know, I mean yeah. it's it's a completely different skill set to be a coordinator than being a tight ends coach, but again, like you said, I think that the hope by putting a tight ends coach in charge of the offense mm-hmm. is that the out of the knows, box thinking. The out of the box thinking. You yeah. know, like we talked about, I mean this is a very different switch, but like we talked about when we were talking about Jeff Banks or UTSA, of just like mm-hmm. coming in with that mindset of like these details matter. Yeah, you know where I put this guy matters. Mm-hmm. How, uh, what kind of athlete I have here matters. That's kind of what you're hoping for. And the other thing too, man, is like most of the schools in Texas are actually starting to go back to using a tight end mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Sure, uh, a lot of them are just as receivers. But but you know if you're UTSA, look at the other teams. You know that you're kind of competing with for recruits in Texas in terms of sort of that that bottom five group. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there really isn't another school that you should lose to for a tight end. Right. You know, I mean, like, UTEP obviously runs with sort of a, a base tight end, but, like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love you, UTEP, but you're not going to get recruits over UTSA most likely. Right, you're right. You know, North Texas is pretty pure air raid. Yeah. You know, they have, like, a receiving tight end in Jason Pirtle, but he's, you know, receiving tight end purely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Texas State, obviously, they run very much spread air raid stuff and mm-hmm. don't have necessarily a true tight end. Um, Rice does. Yeah. Rice does, but uh, there are very different issues, obviously, with dealing with Rice than dealing with UTSA. Right. So, I, th- I mean, I think that that's potentially an area. And actually, if I remember right, this will take me a second to look up, I believe that their top-rated commit was a tight end. Uh, it, I believe so. Yeah, Alan Horace from Crockett. Oh, okay. And so and he was the number 670 player in the country. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty that's good yeah. for for a program like UTSA. I mean, he had offers from Arkansas and Baylor and Ole Miss. Especially for somebody like Jeff Trailer who did not have a lot of time on, to hit the road. Definitely. You know, this is a, this first class is always kind of a patchwork, a patch job to yeah. see what you can just scrap together. Yeah. Now, we are – look uh, – Obviously, Jeff Trailer is not the most experienced hire that they could have made. Yeah. But I hope that they use that to be innovative. Mm-hmm. I hope that they use that to hire a tight ends coach and make the offense wacky. Right. I hope that they do that to get the hell out on the road and tell a tight end from Crockett, hey, man, 
you don't got to go to the SEC. You can come back right here to UTSA. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, that's the sort of stuff that I hope that they do. Um, I think they're off to a good start right now. But again, spring's going to be a good time for them to figure out what do we have, what can we do, and what do we plan to do. Yep. Anyway. That's going to do it for us. Uh, happy spring camp. Happy spring <laughs> camp. Man, we're already here. Yeah. It's me and so you got to start hitting the road for the magazine, too. So oh, we're making some man. stops at some I, of these camps. <laughs> don't remind me, man. My my wife's like mad in advance at how much we're going to be gone. <laughs> and you know what? Hey, honey, I, when I, I go to like, Lubbock? <laughs> no, she doesn't. <laughs> we, she came last time. She doesn't want to do it again. <laughs> Would not you, tricking her you yeah. can't trick her with oh it'll be fun we'll both take yeah. a trip she's like nope not worth it yeah no, <laughs> she already knows unfortunately but uh you know as listeners of the show may know my my wife is vegetarian so next time i go i'm hitting evie maze so <laughs> I'll, I'll use that opportunity <sighs> anyway thanks so much to everybody for joining us thank you to our sponsor north texas honda dealers if you are not a subscriber yet texasfootball.com slash subscribe uh look we have a lot of stuff in the works from a su- subscriber perspective uh, you know, just from my perspective, I've been doing sort of a Tuesday feature where I kind of, and then on Wednesdays, I've been doing Q and A's with coaches. So today I actually uh, talked to Texas A&M offense coordinator, Daryl Dickey. Mm. You know, so that's up on the website right now. If you want to get access to that, so it's, it's, it's a subscriber piece. So we'd love to, we'd have, love to have you join the team. Yeah. Anyway, thanks so much everybody for joining us. And we'll talk to you guys again next week.